Hey, what a wonderful time of worship this morning. Thank you, worship team, for um, leading us so well. This is probably a little off topic, but what do they call it when you can use your right hand and your left hand equally well? What's that called? Is it ambidextrous? Is that it? Something like that? Okay, I don't know very many big words, but, but I just want to point something out here. It's kind of exciting. For, for, for decades, uh, my water bottle has always been on my left, right? It's always been on my left, right? That's just the way it is. Have you noticed this morning? The guy set this up here over on my right, over on my right. So what that means is I'm going to be switch hitting this morning. Isn't that something? Is that impressive to you? I think what that means, I don't know for sure, but if you have me on your fantasy preacher league, <laughs> doesn't that mean my value just went up if I can do it? It's going to be interesting to see if I can do this or if I dump it all over myself. But anyway, anyway, there you go. Have you ever been frustrated or dismayed by the, the apparent lack of justice in this world? Yeah. So for example, you try to be honest at work and you admit it when you make a mistake and the person in the next office lies and blames problems on everybody else. And then when it comes time for the next promotion, the dishonest person is elevated and you're passed over. And what's worse, you know that there are articles out there in the trade magazines that actually suggest you shouldn't be so honest. So it sure appears that the person advocating dishonesty in the trade magazines was right and the the person following that teaching won out. Well, where's the justice? Where's the justice? Or you're a single person. And you're trying to live in a way that is sexually faithful, but the person down the hall is very promiscuous, just like many of the opinion leaders in our world are teaching and modeling. Well, then you learn that people are mocking you behind your back for your chastity, and that other person is growing in popularity. Again, it appears that the false teaching is right, at least in the short term, and justice seems to be lacking. You ever wrestled with questions like that? Are you wrestling with questions like that right now? Well, if so, you're certainly not the first. In fact, you may already be thinking about one of the Psalms that especially focuses on that issue. What should we do when it appears that the wicked are prospering? It's Psalm 73, written by a man named Asaph. And if you know that psalm, you know it's rough. I mean, it's raw, and it's real. He starts by saying this, As for me, my feet came close to stumbling. My steps had almost slipped. So there's no pretension here. We've got a crisis on our hands. And then he explains why he came so close to stumbling. And it's almost one of those... I can't believe he's being that transparent kind of moments. Because here's what he admits. I I was envious of the arrogant as I saw the prosperity of the wicked. And your response is, wow, I I know we do that, but I didn't think we could admit it out loud. Or I really admire the fact that he's being so honest here. And then, then he just starts pouring out his heart. And there's a lot stored up there. He says, for there's no pains in their death. And their body's fat. And you realize in that culture, that'd be a good thing. (laughs) I want to live in that culture, don't you? I want to be there. Uh, They're they're not in trouble as other men. The wicked. 
nor are they plagued like mankind. Therefore, pride is their necklace. The garment of violence covers them. Their eyes bulge from fatness. This guy's really on the fat thing. That the imagination of their heart, it, it runs riot. That they mock and they wickedly speak of oppression. They speak from on high. They set their mouth against the heavens and their, their tongue parades through the earth. You know, it's like whatever teachers they're following, I want in on that. Because it would certainly appear that the short-term benefits of being wicked, that, that's a pretty good deal. It's a pretty good deal. I think it's worse because he says there's a lot of them. Not just one or two. There's a lot, look, they're his people, all of them. They return to this place and waters of abundance are, are drunk by them. Then he throws this on the table. And remember, this is the Psalms. This is supposed to be the, the worship hymnal of the Old Testament people of God. But here's what he says. They say, how does God know? And is their knowledge with the Most High? That's what the wicked are saying. Behold, these are the wicked, and they're always at ease. They've, they've increased in wealth. You know, it wouldn't be hard for any person in this room to look at the conditions in our culture, or maybe even look at the conditions in your life and write a very similar psalm, huh? Yeah. And I'll just say this, stopping right there could be catastrophic to your spiritual health. Because Asaph admitted where that line of reasoning had taken him. He said, surely in vain I've kept my heart pure. You ever said that? Surely in vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. For I've been, I've been stricken all day long. What good is it? And I'm chastened every morning. If that's not full-on spiritual depression, it's awful close. And many of us, if we're honest, could say, I, I can relate. I, I can relate to that line of, of thinking. Well, if you know the Lord as Asaph did, you know he didn't leave it there. Here's what he said as he just mulled that. He said, I, if I speak thus, I would have betrayed the generation of your children. When I, when I pondered to understand that it was, it was troublesome in my sight that I was thinking this way. In other words, there has to be. There has to be something missing in my calculation, and I need to go somewhere to find it. Which is why the psalm turns on verse 17 when he says, Until I came into the sanctuary of God, just like you did this morning, regardless of the questions you had, regardless of how you might have felt, you came to the house of God on the Lord's day. Until I came into the sanctuary of God, and then I perceived what? Then I perceived their, their end. I want to encourage you to ponder that last phrase. I perceived their end. See, when considering who we're going to follow, who are you going to let teach you? It's always wise to ask, where does that path lead? Not just what does that look like today, but how's that going to look in eternity? We're talking about learning to develop the long view. Then I perceived that their end... And that's when Asaph starts to emerge from this spiritual funk. And he says this, Surely you set them in slippery places, the wicked. You cast them down to destruction. How they're destroyed in a moment. They're utterly swept away by sudden terrors like a, a dream when one awakens. O oh Lord, when aroused, you will despise their form. See, now it's the wicked who are in the slippery places. And though they thought God didn't know what they were doing, they even bragged about it out loud. Do you remember that? That they were wrong? 
Why? Because they confuse God's patience and long-suffering with impotence and apathy. Look carefully. Look carefully at their end. And then Asaph turns back to his own soul. And he said, when my heart was embittered, you don't want to be there, do you? And I was pierced within, then I was senseless. That's where you go. That's where that line of reasoning takes you. I was like a beast before you. Nevertheless, praise God for the nevertheless, huh? Nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You've taken hold of my right hand. We're going to see an example in the Bible of a guy who had to grab his right hand and drag him out. You've taken hold of my right hand with your counsel. You'll guide me and, and afterward receive me to glory. Whom have I in heaven but you? And besides you, I desire nothing on earth. My, my flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. For behold, those who are far from you, consider their end, will perish. You've destroyed all those who are unfaithful to you, but as for me, the nearness of God is my good. I've made the Lord God my refuge that I may tell of all your works. See, friends, when making choices about whose ideas you're going to follow, Always remember, consider their end. Now, I realize you might say, okay, Pastor Roger, you know, that's, that's well and good, but I thought we were studying the book of 2 Peter. Well, there's a sense in which we just did because that's the point that Peter's about to make in an entirely different but extremely powerful way. So with that in mind, I want to invite you to open your Bible now to, to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter chapter 2, that's on page 184 of the, the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. So 2 Peter chapter 2, page 184 of the, the back section of the Bible under the chair in front of you. Our theme this year is hope for everyday life. Are you glad we have that? Hope for everyday life. And now we're doing a, we're doing a verse-by-verse study of the book of 2 Peter entitled Growing in Grace and Knowledge, and that's taken from one of the theme verses. It's a beautiful verse, right at the end of the book, where Peter said, Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory. By the way, I hope you've been doing that this week. Hope you're planning to do that next week. Grow in the grace and knowledge. So if you have some kind of a planning system, if we look at tomorrow and next week, what what are you going to do? I'm going to try to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Why? Because I want to Him be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. Now, if you've been with us the last couple of weeks, you know that chapter 1, very, very positive. Peter spoke about the beauty of the gospel. He spoke about the sufficiency of God's Word. Well, well there's two reasons why, to thread it all together. There's two reasons, that the beauty of the gospel and the sufficiency of the Scripture. There's two reasons why we can have hope for, for everyday life and why there can be hope that people like you and me can actually grow in, in grace and knowledge. And Peter knew that experientially, right? Think how much he had grown. <laughs> Think how much Peter changed because of those two provisions, because of the, the purity and power of the gospel effect in his life, and also the, the sufficiency of God's Word. However, how, there's always a however. Uh, things change dramatically in chapter 2, huh? In, in fact, if you are just starting to study the book of Second Peter for the first time, and you were here a couple of weeks ago, and you heard that comment that we made, that, that, that Bible teachers think that Second Peter and the book of Jude, that that's the dark corner of the New Testament, 
And if you've just been reading it for the first time, say, well, I, I just read and listened to these studies on 2 Peter 1. Where, where, where's the, where's the, what's so dark about it? <laughs> well, all you have to do is read the first word in chapter 2, verse 1, and the first words, and here, here it is, chapter 2, verse 1, but, but false prophets, there it is, we're, we're done with the positive, but false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among whom? Among you, you who? You, me, us, who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Many will follow their sensuality, uh uh-oh, and because of them the way of truth will be maligned. And in their greed they will exploit you with false words, and their judgment from long ago, it's not idle. And their judgment from, from long ago... So now what happens? I mean, I want you to envision Peter in a jail cell. He's facing martyrdom for his faith in the gospel and for his commitment to following prophets that were true and hoping and praying that these young Christians wouldn't follow false prophets. And the logic that he's going to use in the next seven verses of chapter 2 is this. Consider their end. Think about these false prophets. Consider their end. It's the same point that Asaph made in Psalm 73. Now, I'm going to read 2 Peter 3, beginning in verse 10. These are rough verses, but that's all right, right? That would be a good time for a yes. We're here to study all the Word of God. It's all profitable. We all agree with that. And sometimes it's not happy, happy, happy. And this just isn't. Here we go. 2 Peter 2, verse 4. For if God, look at the three examples, did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare, secondly, the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness, with seven others when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly, and, third, if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, and if he rescued righteous Lot, say what? Righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men and by what he saw and heard that righteous man say what? While living among them felt his righteous soul say what, what, what? Tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. Then the Lord, here you go. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation. He knows. And to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day of judgment, and especially those who indulge the flesh in its corrupt desires and and despise authority. This morning we're talking about choosing teachers wisely by, by considering their end. And with the time we have remaining, let's just walk down through this text now, looking for three responses to our God who will someday execute perfect, perfect justice. We have to start here. Be sobered by God's judgment on the unrighteous. The the, the three examples that Peter uses here are just fascinating. He starts by talking about the angels, the angels. Now, you know, the, the, the topic of angelology, it doesn't come up very often in church, does it? No. Now, now our culture has some interesting ideas about angels, doesn't it? For example, how does an angel get its wings? Right? Our, our wind is an angel. Get its wings. <laughs> you remember this? 
That could be a little louder, fellas. Well, we'll have to work on that for the next service. But you recognize that, don't you? Yeah, that, that's a, they, they, <laughs> the, the belief that, well, an angel gets its wings every time you hear a, a bell ring. Or, or back in the 90s, there was this program on TV. And I realize some of you have no idea. The 90s, what was that? I know. For, forget it, forget it. But, but they're all, the point I'm making is there are all sorts of of cultural ideas out there. It's pretty obvious that's not what Peter's discussing here. For if God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for, for, for judgment. And another parallel passage to that is Jude 6. Remember this, and angels who did not keep their own domain, but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for the judgment of the great day. Now, you might say, well, what angels are those? Well, here's honest answer part one. We don't know for certainty because Peter didn't tell us. He didn't tell us. It appears that he believed, as did Jude, that their readers would already know, so additional explanation was unnecessary. So I would just suggest exactly who these angels are. That's probably not a great time to be dogmatic. Well, honest answer part two is you don't have to know that for sure in order to benefit from the overall point, which is what? Some angels were severely judged for some reason and Here's the upshot. If God would judge angels for their disobedience, he'll surely judge people who either teach false doctrine or follow false doctrine. So, so, so contrast what, what we just read, cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment. That's one kind of end. Contrast that to other angels that we read about in the Bible Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne and the living creatures and the elders and the number of them was myriads of myriads and thousands of thousands saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb that was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and might and honor and and glory and blessing. And every created thing which is in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all things in them, I heard them saying to him, to Jesus who sits on the throne and to the lamb be blessing and honor and glory and dominion forever and ever. And the four living creatures kept saying, Amen, and the elders fell down and they they, they worshipped. Remember what Jude said about these fallen angels is they didn't keep their own domain, that they had abandoned their proper abode. And yet these righteous angels in the book of Revelation are joyfully submitting to God's truth. They're living in a way that is consistent with it. And you might want to just pause and ask yourself this question, which angel would you like to be like? when you consider their end. And which kind of teacher, again, considering their end, would you want to follow? And I would encourage you right now just to factor that into a situation you might be facing where it doesn't appear that justice is being done right now. Well, should you then conclude that you might as well follow false ideas because justice is never going to be done? Friends, here's Peter's point. The angels would strongly disagree. And we ought to be sobered by their judgment. Then there's the judgment on the ancient world. Speaking here about the flood, 
The, the biblical record here is stark. And remember, we're only six chapters into the book of Genesis. And what do we read? Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thought of his heart was only evil continually. The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth. And he was grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I've created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. That's what listening to false teaching, that's where it will get you. So what do you mean? We just think about the progression of teaching. You had the prophecy from God himself in Genesis 2. From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat from it you will, what? Surely die. That's what a true teacher God himself said. What did our adversary say? That you won't surely die. Tell that to the people in Genesis 6 when the rain started. How high do you think the water had to get? before they realized that they had followed the wrong teacher. And now Peter is reminding us, God did not spare the ancient world, my friend. Consider their end. And look, I realize we're living in a day when some or perhaps many don't want to hear about the judgment or the wrath of God. And they only want to focus on uh, what they consider to be the positive aspects of God's nature. You realize we would have to ignore large sections of Scripture if we did that. And in so doing, we would become just like the false teachers that Peter is warning about in this passage. So consider the end. Consider the end of the angels who rebelled. Consider the end of the ancient world who rejected God's counsel. And then the third example is Sodom and Gomorrah. And if he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah to destruction by reducing them to ashes, having made them an example to those who would live ungodly lives thereafter, that would have occurred about 450 years after the flood. And you may recall that that land was beautiful. It was fertile. You remember, Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the valley of the Jordan where these cities were, that it was well watered everywhere. This was before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. What was it like? It was like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to to Zoar. What a great place where people could have chosen to love God. They could have chosen to heed His truth. It was like the garden of Eden. But instead, the Lord told Abraham, the outcry of Sodom and Gomorrah is indeed great and their sin is exceedingly grave. And perhaps those who lived there thought that using their lives in that fashion was pleasurable, that that was the right thing to do. Our rebellious teachers are wise, and our ways are right. Maybe they thought that. What would Peter say? Consider their end. Consider their end. Then the Lord, Scripture says, rained on Sodom and Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven, and he overthrew those cities and all the valley and all the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. And I can imagine I'm just thinking about this passage and this message and somebody walking in here today and you're visiting for the very first time. <laughs> Say, man, man, th- th- this is really a fire and brimstone church. Well, perhaps a better way of saying it is at times the Bible is a fire and brimstone book. 
And we genuinely believe that there's a heaven to be gained, but there's a what? There is a hell to be shunned. And this is probably a good time this to pause and ask ourselves this morning, are you properly sobered by God's judgment? And listen, we have many reasons for joy. And we're going to talk about some of them next because Peter emphasizes that in this text as well. But isn't this true? We, we can get pretty flip about the kind of teachers we listen to. Whether I'm talking about our music or our, our entertainment, our books, our podcasts, on and on. As if uh, the consequences of a, a little sin or a little rebellion isn't that bad. Little false prophecy probably won't hurt us. Friends, consider their end. Remember the angels. Remember the ancient world. Remember Sodom and Gomorrah and be properly sober to the point of caution and carefulness. See, when's the last time you turned off a movie or you put down a book or you changed the channel and you said, I don't need any more of that in my heart. I I don't want any more of that in my mind because that path would take me to a place that I don't want to go. I considered their end, their end. Now, what else do we see in this text? There's some joy in it that there is. Be amazed by God's rescue of his people. See, think about the way this book is shaping up now. By now, we're seeing a very clear contrast between the reliable prophets of chapter 1, giving us everything that we need for life and godliness, and the false prophets of chapter 2, secretly introducing false heresies and maligning the way of truth. So, so consider their, their end. Their judgment from long ago is not idle. Their destruction is not asleep. And anybody who doubts that should remember the angels, remember the ancient world, remember Sodom and Gomorrah. Great, okay. But what's the other side? What about those who choose to follow reliable prophets? What about people who choose to follow the, the truth of God's Word? We have the prophetic word, Peter had already said, made more sure to which you would do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star arises in your hearts. Well, where does following that road lead? Well, just ask Noah. And just ask, amazingly, who else? (laughs) Isn't it amazing? Just ask Noah and just ask Lot. And the two operative words are going to be preservation and rescue. You want to know where that road leads? Preservation. You want a little little bit of that? And rescue. Let's think about it. Noah and his family. And he didn't spare the ancient world, but but he preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others, when he brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. Well, what's Genesis 6 tell us about, about Noah? Well, Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Totally different than the false teachers that Peter had been discussing. And so Scripture says that God himself is the one who comes and prophesies to Noah. And what a prophecy it was. Then God said to Noah, The end of all flesh has come before me, for the earth is filled with violence. Again, Genesis 6. 
And because of them, and behold, I'm about to destroy them with the, earth, uh, with the earth. Make for yourself an ark of gopher wood. You shall make the ark with its rooms and shall cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how you'll make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits. Its breadth, 50 cubits. Its height, 30. You shall make a window for the ark and finish it to a cubit from the top and set the door of the ark and the side of it. You shall make it with lower, second, and third decks. Behold, I, even I am bringing the flood of water upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life from under heaven. Everything that's on the earth shall perish, but I will establish my covenant with you. And you shall enter the ark, you and your sons and your wife and your sons' wives with you. And of every living thing of all flesh, you shall bring two of every kind into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female of the birds after their kind and of the animal after their kind and of every creeping thing of the ground after its kind. Two of every kind will come with you to keep them alive. As for you, take for yourself some of all food which is edible. You're going to need a bucket of chicken. It's going to be a while. And gather it for yourself, and it shall be for, for food for you. That's in the Hebrew. It should be food for you and, and for them. Well, what does a righteous man do with that kind of prophecy from the Lord? And remember, it was going to take how long to finish that project? 120 years. Think about that. Well, here's how he responded. Thus Noah did. Thus Noah did according to all that God had commanded him, so he did. And why was that, friends? It's because he was a righteous man. And understand that in light of what Peter said at the very beginning of the book of 2 Peter, lest we get that confused, to those who have received the faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of who? The righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ, See, he was just like Abraham. Please don't miss this. People were not saved in the Old Testament by their works. People were saved in the Old Testament just like people are saved in the New Testament by our faith in whatever God has revealed up to this time. And that was true of Abraham, remember? Abraham believed God, and that's what was credited to his righteousness. And the same was true of Noah. So he placed his faith in what God had revealed to him, and God's righteousness was credited to him. By the way, looking forward to what? To the cross, when that righteousness would be fully secured through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And because of that, because of the fact that Noah was made positionally righteous. Then he became a doer of righteousness. And this passage even says he became a what? A preacher of righteousness. Now you might say, what does that mean? We don't know because we don't have anything in the biblical record that would explain what and how and when did Noah ever preach. Well, it certainly doesn't appear that he had any converts except for who? his wife and his sons and, and their wives. But, friend, consider his end. Would you rather be on the ark or outside the ark? Consider his end. He wasn't like the fallen angels. He wasn't like the ancient world. He wasn't like Sodom and Gomorrah. He and his family were preserved. Preserved. You know, I, I really do believe this. Um, I think that there will be many hearing this message today who are in a very similar position to Peter's readers. So what do you mean by that? 
Well, you've had people in your life like Noah, preachers of righteousness, haven't you? For some of you, your dad has been like Noah, preacher of righteousness. Your mama been like Noah. Your granny, you know your granny? Some of you have grannies. They've been like, they, she's been like, like Noah, Sunday school teacher or, or a youth leader. And here's the challenge. Some of the truth they tried to teach you doesn't seem to be paying off in the short term. It feels restrictive, doesn't it? Granny doesn't know what she's talking about. And now there's a lot of new potential teachers in your life. And they're prophesying a lot of different things, right? In fact, some of them, you know what they're doing? They're mocking your preachers of righteousness. That's what they're doing. And they're trying to undermine them. And they're trying to turn your attention away from them. What's today's lesson? Faith in God's Word preserves. Following the right teachers preserves. And you know what would be the takeaway from this message for a number of people who are going to hear it at this campus? It's this afternoon, call your daddy. And this afternoon, you call your mama. This afternoon, you call your granny. When's the last time you called her? And you want to say, Mom, Dad, Granny, Sunday school teacher, thank you for teaching me what is right. And thank you for being a preacher of righteousness in my life. And I want to tell you, I know I'm in a place right now where there's all kinds of people telling me all kinds of things, and there's some people who are mocking you. I want to tell you right now, I've already decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to follow the teaching that you gave. Mama, you don't even have to worry. Go to sleep well tonight. Daddy, just kick off your shoes. You, God's going to keep me safe. He's going to preserve me because I'm not listening to the false teachers in my life. And the reason I'm not listening to the false teachers in my life is because I've considered their end. And it might look like they're winning today, but I know they're not going to win in the end. So mama, daddy, Sunday school teacher, youth leader, preacher of righteousness in my life, I've decided I am going to follow you by the grace of God and with the help of God. That's the way I'm going to live all of my days. You know, the same could be said about Lot. It's amazing, Lot! And if he rescued righteous Lot, oppressed by the sensual conduct of unprincipled men, for by what he saw and heard that righteous man while living among them felt his righteous soul tormented day after day by their lawless deeds. And I realize, and I'm so glad Lot is the example. Huge point right there. Because you can say, righteous Lot? I've read the story of Lot. How, how in the world could the Bible call that guy righteous? It's a good question, but there's a ton of hope there. There's a ton of hope there. Here's what one commentator said. Well, certainly far from perfect. <clears throat> Lot never lost his basic orientation to the Lord. The word righteous that Peter uses need, need mean no more than this. In the New Testament, this word often refers to a person's status before the Lord rather than one innate moral virtue. 
Moreover, it's important to note that Peter does not say that the Lord rescued Lot because he was a righteous man. Similarly, it will not be by virtue or their inherent goodness as God will deliver Christians in Peter's day or in ours. Do you believe that? I hope you get that from the judgment that he will bring on the ungodly. Rather, it will be because of their, their knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. And by the way, I realize you might say, Pastor Rod, let me tell you exactly why I couldn't call my daddy today and say what you just said. Let me tell you exactly why I couldn't call my mom, my Sunday school teacher, my youth leader, and tell them that, that I'm going to follow their righteous teaching. It's because I'm not. I've been listening to some of the fools, and I know I've been straying away from what I was taught. But what do you think God would say to you today? Get off that path. You know why God sent me over here today, don't you? To, to put that wherever it needs to go. That, that, that'd be the answer to that. And if you're heading down the wrong path and you're following the words of a bunch of fools and you're, you're, you're forsaking what righteous people taught you in your past, then you need to consider the end of the fools you're following and turn around, turn around, and then call your daddy. And I'll tell you, you'd make their day. If they know you've been heading down the wrong path and listening to the fools and, and, and you're going to make that right today, praise God for that. And you might say, Pastor Rod, I feel so weak about it. My, my, my heart, it's it, it just so double-minded right now. It's such a struggle right now. Do you know how the, the fools are winning big time right now? Don't you know, Pastor Rod? I know that. That's why I love the fact that Lot is the example. You don't have to do it perfectly. Is that some good news or what? You don't have to do it. In fact, here's exactly what it looks like. But he hesitated. This is what Lot did. You remember this? He, he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters from the compassion of the Lord was upon him. You say, why, why, why did God bring me into this place today where this, this redneck preacher is yelling at me? That's called the compassion of the Lord on you. Can't you feel it? You want me to come over there and smooch you? I mean, it's, it's that. That's what it is. It's the compassion. <laughs> You'll probably pass on that one. It's the compassion of the Lord what was upon him. And they drug him out. They brought him out and they, they put him outside the city. That's called being rescued right there. It's called being rescued. You might say, he is so imperfect, it's amazing. I know. I know. I know. But that's a whole lot better than what happened to the fallen angels. You know that? That's a whole lot better than what happened to the ancient world. And you know for sure that's a whole lot better than what happened to where? Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, how does Peter conclude this part of the, the, the conversation? He, he says, be encouraged because God knows how to make things right in the end. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from temptation and to keep the unrighteous under punishment for the day. Don't you love that phrase? The Lord knows. See, consider the situation that really bothers you right now because justice is not happening. And because false teachers and teaching appears to be winning. Yeah, you might have even come into this auditorium this morning feeling like Asaph. My, my feet are slipping. I'm becoming envious of the wicked. In vain I've kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. Friend, consider their end. Consider their end because the Lord, what? The Lord knows. The Lord knows. Well, what are some practical takeaways of, of all of this? Be, be sure that you've received the righteousness of God by faith. 
Noah and Lot were imperfect people, but they were people of faith. That they believed God. They came to a point in their life where they admitted their need and they placed their faith and trust in God. And if you're not sure you've ever done that, here's what I want to encourage you to do. Set up a time with one of our service pastors. And be sure that you get to the place where you know that you know that you know that you're on your way to heaven. Peter's already talked about making your calling and your election what? Sure, sure. It's possible to know for sure that you're on your way to heaven. Secondly, rejoice in our Savior who makes righteousness and our eternal destiny with Him possible. You glad for that? You glad for a God who rescues? I'm going to tell you right now, I hope you know it. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ today, it's not because you just came out of the womb all that in a bag of chips, right? You did not come out of the womb righteous. You did not come out of the womb with a three-piece suit on carrying a King James Bible. You know you didn't. You were as evil as all get out. It's like, I'll call your mom. You, you know. You, you know what you were like. What's the first word you, that came out of your mouth? Yes, mama, I will obey you right now. You know what it was. I'd stand up here all morning and prove that point. And so, if you're a righteous person today to any degree, shape, or form because you've trusted Christ as Savior and Lord and received His imputed righteousness in your heart and you're trying to live the right way, why is that? So the goal is we're not going to look down at those who don't know the Lord as if we're better than them. What are we going to say? Praise God for a Savior who what? He rescued us. In fact, some of you still got bruises on your wrist. You know why? Because some angel had to drag you out of whatever pit you were in. You know that? It'll probably go away eventually, but that, that just, that's it. Re -re Rejoice in our Savior who makes righteousness and our, our eternal destiny with Him possible. Paul said, for this reason also I suffer these things. I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed. And I'm persuaded that He's able to... I have to quote it out of the King James. That's the way I learned it. To guard what I have entrusted to him against that day. Thirdly, remember that because the Lord will make things right in the end, often your role today is simply to return good for evil. You might say, I'll tell you what, I'm sick of justice, or I'm sick of unrighteousness winning out. I'm going to be the heavenly payroll clerk. Vengeance is mine, says Steve. No, 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 no. Vengeance is mine, says who? Yeah, says the Lord, and my job in the meantime, often, is to wait for God to take care of that person when he wants to. And I'm not talking about a situation that I ought to be confronting, or that we, no, but generally, generally speaking, my job is to return good for evil over and over and over and over. And why? God will take care of that. He'll take care of that when he wants to and how he wants to. Vengeance belongs to him, not to me. And friends, did, did it come through loud and clear? Wow, choose your teachers wisely. I'd encourage you to think about right now who you're allowing to teach you in your music and your, your entertainment and your books and your podcasts and your friends. Choose your teachers wisely. Remember their end. Let's pray together, shall we? Father in heaven, Lord, we realize that, that sometimes church just isn't all happy, happy, happy. Because your word has to deal with, with serious matters, and thank you for that. And Lord, I pray that we would be appropriately sobered, and I pray that we'd be careful people, cautious people about what we're listening to, who we're following. 
And Lord, help us, even when we don't see the, the immediate benefit of that, help us to develop the, the long view, to consider their end, and to consider our end. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.